0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. at oev all the time is that we want to encounter jesus be transformed by him and share his love and so that's what we uh, really long for is that this encounter with the word will be an authentic encounter that will change you and will fill you and that out of that encounter with the word of god uh, that you'll be able to share something amazing with your friends so that's our that's our hope with this uh the title of this message is in what spirit Um, And that's just a reflection on some of what we see going on uh, in culture uh, right now, just with the fear that's going around uh, COVID-19 and the stress that we see people carrying, what we see going on in the shopping centres and the whole deal. We just are seeing a lot of fear. And, and maybe some justifiable concern that bad things will actually happen. Um, we don't know, but, uh, but that's sort of uh, a time when our imaginations get a hold of us and all kinds of things go on in our minds. Uh, but the passage has just been resonating uh, for us uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love and of a sound mind. And that's just what I want to pray into before we start uh, the message here. Uh, Father, I just ask that for everybody listening uh, that there would not be a spirit of fear over us, that you would uh, pour out a gift, uh, an understanding, a supernatural ability uh, to know that we can walk in your power, to know that we can walk in an authentic love, and to have minds that are sound and solid and steady and able to uh, respond uh, to you and to your word and to be obedient people. So, Father, we just ask as we engage with your word, as we engage with this text, that you would do that work in our hearts of banishing our fear and giving us uh, a connectedness with you that results in power, love, and a sound mind. And I was walking through the grocery store uh, the other day, and this is just some pictures from some local grocery stores uh, that we've seen. But uh, sort of before this thing started really ramping up, uh, I guess it was Friday. It was sort of one of the first big days of binge shopping, although everybody's been binge shopping toilet paper for uh, weeks now. But uh, just just walking through the store, a normal Friday shop, uh, wanting to kind of do, uh, you know, the it's payday sort of fill up the pantry and all of that and as I started walking through the grocery store we're getting some vegetables we're just doing that kind of usual thing I'm sort of looking around and I'm beginning to see uh, some people going past me with like massively filled carts and and sort of scrunched up faces and as I'm going through the grocery store I realize that there's just huge anxiety uh, going on and me sort of being like yeah, I want to be tempered want to be chilled don't want to sort of engage in this but as I'm sort of going through the grocery. Grocery store I'm kind of like beans and rice maybe a couple extra bags of beans and rice and I'm going a little further along I'm like yeah like that person just bought ten hams why did they buy ten hams man Uh, I don't know what's going on Uh, maybe I'll buy two hams and as I'm going through the grocery store it's like this this sort of fear that's in the place ramps up and it kind of gets a hold of you And had an amazing conversation with another couple uh, in the church that by the time we got down to the ice cream section of the aisle, a little bit of an older couple, a little bit steady, just doing their regular shopping and and showing actually a little more restraint than I had. And I actually felt this conviction like, oh man, there's something in me that's shopping in fear. This is crazy. And then so I was done my conversation with Elizabeth and Leon. God bless you guys. A conviction of the Holy Spirit came through you. I just kind of quietly shopped my way back and put a ham back on the shelf and, and kind of dealt with that. But, uh, but it's just, it's, it's kind of nuts. There's a way in which when fear is happening in society and happening around us, it just sort of ramps up and ramps up and it begins to, to build. And by the time I sort of got through Walmart and through the soap, aisle, people were going nuts in the soap section too, and got to the cash, I, I was just realizing that there has got to be a way for us as Christians to live a little bit differently in the middle of this. Like, we don't have to be under this thing. And we should be modeling something a little bit different for our culture. So I just want to read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 uh, verses 6 to 10 or 6 to 11 and, uh, and just have us engage with the text because there's something really beautiful uh, in here for us. So let me just read this uh, to us. Uh, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands this is Paul talking to Timothy for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and a sound mind therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God this is a huge run-on sentence who saved us and calls us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ, Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do is Paul talking to Timothy. Uh, He's uh, talking to a spiritual son. Uh, This is like a second generation leader that Paul is talking to. So Paul had this incredible encounter with Jesus. Uh, Paul raised up some other leaders around him. Timothy was one of them. And Paul is now writing to Timothy and saying, hey, you who are now out there pastoring and doing this stuff and following me and and leading other people, there's some things that you need to know. Uh, You are in difficult circumstances. You're now out there on your own I'm not mentoring you directly anymore I've got to write you letters I'm not by your side you're doing it and you're in a difficult situation and Timothy we think we don't know for sure Uh, some people say that he was just a little bit less of a an aggressive sort of outgoing person than Paul which we think is probably true of absolutely anybody because Paul is like off the charts Uh, so Timothy is like Paul carrying this concern for him that he is just going to be a little bit timid, a little bit holding back and not dealing directly with the stuff that Timothy needs to deal with. And so Paul says to him, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so just this first thought out of the text is in adverse circumstances, look for the gift. You might be sitting in your house, you might be worried uh, about COVID-19, you might be worried about what to do or carrying that kind of fear with you, but first of all, look to the gift. God has given you something amazing in your life. He has spoken to you, Uh, he has gifted you, he has poured out something into your life. You need to look to that thing that came from God and realize that you have capabilities and abilities and power and love and authority that you didn't know you had. We want you to see that and realize, God is with you, and amazing things are, are happening. Uh, just focusing on this phrase, fan into flame, uh, that word there in the Greek is really just like rekindle a fire, like rekindle a fire. I remember when I was a kid, and I would go to camp, and there was this awesome guy up at camp who was like the woodsman guy, and he was fantastic. He would take us out, and we would sort of go in the bush and, and start a fire and the whole kind of deal. And he had this awesome cowboy hat, which nobody wears cowboy hats, but he wore cowboy hats. Because he was cool, and he's fanning the flame, and he puts this log on the fire of of embers that are just about worn out, and uh, and the log is just there, and it's just kind of slowly smoldering. And he takes off his hat. He said, "This is why a cowboy wears a hat, boys." And we're like, "Whoa, you're amazing, guy! You're like a real cowboy." And he's like, takes his hat and he fans the flames, and just the air pushing by the log, all of a sudden the sides of this log begin to just burst. Uh, into flame. And we're like, whoa, this guy is like a camping wizard. He's fantastic. And, uh, and, And that's kind of what Paul is asking us to do. And just worth thinking about, you have gifts from the Holy Spirit, but there is an ability that you have to nurture them and actually make them work. And you have a responsibility to do that. Gifts just don't operate and live and thrive in you uh, if they're just left dormant and not used. There's a way to nurture them. There's a way to fan the flame. You have some responsibility. We have an active role to play in how God's gifts operate in our lives. Uh, The next thought just from this line is, Uh, through the laying on of my hands. So we really have three things in here. We have Paul laying his hands on Timothy, a gift from God bestowed to Timothy, and then Timothy responsible to nurture it. There's a three-way partnership in the the way the gifts operate. They're from God, they're given in community, and they're nurtured by you. Uh, Your gifts and your vocation is not to serve God as a solo act. All of it happens in the community, under the authority of community. And so often, uh, we use our gifts, we take them and we make them become a part of our identity. We begin to think that they're who we are, and eventually our gifts can sometimes lead us into a place of isolation. Uh, But we really don't want to operate that way. They're meant to operate in community with the Holy Spirit, in community uh, with the church family, and to really uh, be nurtured by you. It's this amazing three-way partnership. I'm just going to fly on to the next... Uh, verse here verse seven this is sort of the heart of the text that we're looking at uh, for god has not given us a spirit of fear we just want to pause for a second and think about what that fear is and what it means that word in the greek is dalia, which means timid or full of dread and these are just sort of english definitions that have sort of been added to it over the years but but i think they resonate in some ways uh, A person who loses their moral gumption we don't want to especially in this time uh, when there's so much fear around us be people who have lost our moral gumption we don't want to be people who have lost uh, that ability uh, to make sound decisions and listen to the Lord and to follow him. We don't want to be people who are responding uh, like, like so many people, like our culture teaches us that we should just do that thing that we want. We should get that thing that we want. We should grasp that thing that we want and take it and take it now, responding almost completely to the inner urges that we have. And God is calling us not to be people like that. If we are like that, we're going to respond to this inner urge of fear and, and, and do harm to people and miss out on amazing things that god has for us so we don't want to be people who have lost that moral gumption or fortitude i want to look at this next word that we're talking about but god has given you not fear but a spirit of power again that's another greek word that's really familiar to any of you who sort of grew up in charismatic churches talking about the ability to perform or physically produce work we want to recognize that uh, some of us some people in this time just feel hopeless. They might feel stuck. You might feel like everybody's telling you not to go to the theater, not to go to the schools, not to go uh, wherever, and you're just in a place where you feel constrained. You feel like you can't act. You feel like you're hiding. You feel like maybe you're cowering. And I just want you to know that there is a gift from God to be people who make decisions and act and go places and do things that God wants to use your body. God wants to use you physically to accomplish his work. He does so much supernaturally through the gospel, through uh, healing our hearts and, and, and doing spiritual work in us. But but the idea is that with that comes a vocation to get out there and do physical things even uh, you know right now we're doing little things like we haven't suspended give it away for Lent as a church every Lent we uh, gather as a church we begin to pray as we approach Easter and we put aside foodstuffs that to give to the food bank on Friday uh, Good Friday and on Easter and we want you to keep doing that we want you to physically take stuff that you have and give it to people who need it so counter to this it mentality that's going on right now but we want you to be people of generosity, who are taking your ability, take a can of something, put it in a bag, and give it to somebody who needs it. God wants to use your body in a tangible way. Uh, looking at this next word, love, uh, it's agape. Uh, God has given you a spirit of love and and, and this is a love that's just not like an affection. It's not just like a feeling. We talked about this when we talked through the Shema series. Uh, it's uh, a love which centers in moral preference. Again, that word morality resonates, doesn't it? It's a love that centers in a choice to do something, to make a difference, to love uh, when it seems unusual to love. And Martin Luther King Jr. noticed this and spoke about agape quite a lot. I just want to read you a couple of quotes from him. Agape is understanding creative, redemptive goodwill. It is a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overflowing love. It's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of men. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they are likable but because God loves them. We're really good at loving people we like. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. knew about loving people just because God loved them. And that is something for us. We want to see people the way God sees them and love them the way God loves them. Uh, he, He says it like this. He says, agape is disinterested love. And what I think he means by that is it's not self-directed uh, or self-motivated or self-choosing love. It's a disinterested love in your own ambitions, in your own uh, choices, in your own way of being. He goes on, he says, agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people or any qualities people possess. It begins by loving others for their sakes. Therefore, agape makes no distinction between friend and enemy. It is directed towards both. And he's just echoing the words of Jesus there. Uh, a call for us to love our enemies. A call for us to turn the other cheek. A call for us to care. So who in your neighborhood do you feel angst towards the person with 27 tons of toilet paper in their garage and you can see it every time you go by like whatever it is right the lord is calling you to love people and care for people and have a generous spirit we want to be those kind of people who love selflessly Uh, looking at this next word uh, for god has not given a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind that word sound mind means safe-minded self-moderated resulting in prudent behavior that fits the situation or sound reasoning uh, i love that language uh, of soundness uh, what it makes me think about is uh, you know something that endures you think of an oak tree that's standing in the middle of the field Uh, and it's gone through the winds, and it's gone through the storms, and it's gone through 200 winters, and you knock on the side of that tree, and it is sound and solid, and it is not going to move. Uh, We want to make our decisions uh, not based on instinct, not based on fear, but God has given you a mind that can reason and that can put things together and that can make uh, decisions that are going to be impactful and powerful. And that are good. And I want us to notice this other thing. When you put these things together, God has not given us a spirit of fear, so he's given us his spirit. But of power, the ability to act with our bodies, love, something in our hearts, and a sound mind. And when you put all these together, you get the Shema which is something that we talked about uh, in the fall in terms of the sermon series, uh, looking at Mark twelve thirty and Deuteronomy 6, 4. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This has been the call to the ancient uh, Israelite people all from the way from the time in Deuteronomy uh, to now, all of us walking uh, through uh, the story of Jesus and walking out life the way he's called us to, uh, people of sound mind, good hearts, uh, his spirit, and, and walking in his strength. We see that, and we feel that call to be whole people, not just uh a heart person, not just a mind person, not just a body person, but these are all a part of who God is calling us to be and all something that he has given us to act out and to do uh, the vocation that he has for us in the world. The end result of all this is found in Paul's incredible run-on sentence that follows next. Uh, Because of all this, or therefore, of course, whenever we see the word therefore, we want to ask the question, what the therefore is there for? So because of all this, because God has given you a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So because you have power, uh, love, and a sound mind, suffer. Hold on, dude, that doesn't sound like I like power, love, and a sound mind, which means I should get to have a speedboat, right? That's, that's, that's what my heart thinks, power, love, and sound. I mean, God is going to bless me. God is going to give me wealth. Uh, God is going to use my gifts and talents to elevate me to a place of glory and wealth and riches and safety where nothing can touch me. But no, Paul's response to all of these incredible gifts and his spirit poured out in us is, now go and suffer. Go and preach the gospel. Take these gifts and spend them on the kingdom. Don't spend them on yourself. Uh, This verse 9 I've underlined, saved and calls us. Uh, who saved us and calls us to a holy calling. You have been saved. When you gave your heart to Jesus, when you said, I want to follow him, I want to love him, uh, I want to give my life, my heart to him, I want to be able to do life with him in eternity in heaven, that's awesome. He saved you, but he calls you to a holy calling. You We're saved. You are called to something. You are called to a purpose. And we see this again in the rest of his crazy run-on sentence, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose. Of course, we really want to notice that this is something that he has done in us, and we don't get the credit for it, which he gave us. Again, we don't get the credit for it. He gave us salvation, which has now been manifested. This is not just a historical thing that has happened to you or that happened 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. This is something that is now meant to be manifest in your life and in the life of the church. This is a present thing. Something has happened and is now happening. Your past salvation alters your present reality. You are meant to live differently. You are meant to live differently. And so many of us, uh, Christianity is for us a memory. It's all oh man. I remember when I was a kid and I remember, I remember that moment when I gave my life to Jesus up at Christopher Lake Baptist camp years ago. I remember that feeling of the presence of God is near me and I feel my heart warmed. I remember that sense of an assurance that God has saved me, an assurance of salvation. I remember the joy of that. I also remember when I was 17 years old and he called me to ministry. He called me into a future. He called me to do things for him. He called me to take risks. He called me to go to, uh, you know, crazy churches in northern Saskatchewan and to be in Egypt running from secret police in Cairo, and he called me to Lagos, Nigeria, and he called me to go to school in New York State, he called me to Toronto, Uh, he called me to the Toronto Blessing, he called me to all kinds of crazy places, and he calls you and is calling you to all kinds of crazy places. Your salvation Is not a calling to your freaking lazy boy. (laughs) Your salvation is a calling to the kingdom, to do the God stuff out in the world. And here is what makes it work. Here is what makes all of that happen. Here's what makes all of that possible. Uh, Going on in this crazy run on sentence of Paul's, who abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Let me say this really clearly. He has abolished death. The fear of death is not a factor in your ability to act or love or make decisions. Christians should be uh, the least fearful people on the planet. We should be a courageous people, not a timid people. And he goes on to say this, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That fear of death, again, is not a factor in your ability to make decisions. In fact, you are immortal. That's Marvel Comics stuff, right? That's real deal. When early Christians went out into the world to serve and face persecution, the reason they were able to do that was because they knew that their life here was but a moment and that they were able to take tremendous risks for the gospel, to make it happen, to go out, because they knew that they had life forever. That has got to be our reality. Uh, I want us to point us to that in 2nd Corinthians 15. Uh, 2nd Corinthians uh, 15 verse 14 says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So he points right to the resurrection. This is Paul pointing to the resurrection. I want to put that out there. If you're here, uh, if you're watching on the screen right now, you're investigating Christianity, you're wondering about this, investigate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, look for the evidence. Like, do an investigation read the history, read the story, read apologetics, and you will find that there is a solid case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nobody found a body. And the fact is, early Christians went about proclaiming this thing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they saw it, because they experienced it. They didn't make it up. They wouldn't have gone and been eaten by animals and eaten by lions and whipped and crucified upside down for some lie that they made up. They totally would have caved. But the reality is they saw Jesus after they saw him buried. They saw him walking around and talking and eating meals with them, and it impacted them. They knew it was true. They knew it was real because they'd laid their eyes on him and seen him. Uh, Thomas literally put uh, his hands in Jesus' flesh. That's against COVID-19 protocols, by the way. I'm pretty sure that was unsanitary, Uh, but but he did it. So I want to encourage you, investigate Christianity. Take your doubts and study with your doubts. And you'll find out there's something awesome. But the end result of it, Paul says, and again, read the whole chapter sometime on 2 Corinthians 15. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on Immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death has no sting for you. Death don't hurt you. Death don't hurt you. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't last. It's temporary. It's a tiny taste of pain and then glory. That's what Christians believe. And that's why you can go into all kinds of circumstances that he calls you. Uh, In the 4th century, uh, Christians uh, were surviving and living under all kinds of persecution in the Roman emperor. In the 4th century, there was this crazy plague that went through the empire. Um, and, And there's a story of Christians in the city of Caesarea. Uh, and how they interacted with that plague. And that plague is like nothing like COVID-19 that we're seeing. Uh, What they were saying, what historians look at is like something like a 26% death rate. Like just bodies everywhere. And this is how the Christians responded to that. Every day some continued caring for and burying the dead. For there were multitudes who had no one to care for them. Others collected in one place those who were afflicted by the famine throughout the entire city and gave bread to them all. So they fired up the bakeries and started making bread. So that all, so that the thing became reported abroad among all men and they glorified the God of the Christians and convinced by the facts themselves, confessed that they alone were the Christians alone were truly pious and religious." This is a Subius writing about the Justinian plague in the 4th century. Uh, Two uh, decades later, the Emperor Julian looks back at that experience and writes this and he says this, "...when I think that the poor and sick were neglected and rejected by our pagans, by our priests, I think of the fact that the ungodly Galileans, the Christians, observed this and dedicated themselves to philanthropy." They cared not only for their poor, but for ours. Not only to their sick, but to ours. And again, that's the Emperor Julian. So Christians responded uh, to a crazy, terrible plague. Literally, while people were running to the fields and to the hills, the Christians were there and carrying and loving people. Now, we're in a different situation uh, now with COVID-19. In so many cases, the absolute best thing we can do to reduce the spread of the plague is some social, social isolation. But if it comes down to the deal where you are hearing that your friend is sick in their home or whatever, and medical professionals can't get to them, we're Christians, we're going. We're getting there. We're going to go to the efforts to uh, stream church online and preach the gospel. Uh, We're just going to do whatever we're called to do. We're going to respond according to the sound mind God has given us, according to the love, the generous love that he's put in our hearts, and according to our abilities of our bodies to physically uh, do some work for the king and the kingdom. That's how we're going to serve. Uh, That's how we're going to love. This way of loving Uh, is this way of being is, is possible for those who actually believe the gospel. Uh, Christ died for your sins and rose to give you eternal life. So believing the gospel is life without fear. That's what we're about. That's what we're called to be, a people without fear, a people who are wise, a people who are uh, responding to the call of God in our lives. And so here we are in our culture with all kinds of fear surrounding us Uh, and we don't know what's going to happen, right? We may all just be on an enforced holiday and social isolation may really do its thing and very few of us here in our region uh, may get sick and this may just be, uh, you know, holy cow, how do we babysit the kids for three weeks? Or maybe something bad will happen. Maybe we are about to undergo some actual suffering. The reality is that we we just don't know. But what I want to say to you so clearly is that God is with you. He has given you a gift. He has given you his power. He has given you his love. And he has given you a mind that works. And that we're supposed to take that gift of all of those things and fan them into flame. Take the embers of the gifts that are in you and let the situation be the log that's thrown on the fire and just fan it into flame, and let's be people that are burning brightly. We do not, as a church, want to smolder in this time. We do not want to smolder. We want to burn brightly and let the gospel flow forward from us. That's what we're all about as a church. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.